everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, ESPN and Arizona Cardinals announcer, Dave Pash. My guest this week is Dusty Dvorak, my partner on ESPN ABC College Football Broadcast. Dusty also hosts a morning radio show on Sirius XM ESPNU Radio with Danny Cannell. It's called Dusty and Danny in the Morning. We're going to talk some college football, break down some of the teams that Dusty thinks could make the college football playoff. Also get his thoughts on college football realignment. We'll talk NFL, specifically the Arizona Cardinals. Dusty has a unique connection to several players on the Cardinals, particularly, and most importantly, Kyler Murray, who played at Oklahoma where Dusty played, and Dusty currently lives in Norman. So he's very close to the situation there with Kyler and also Hollywood Brown and gives us his thoughts on what Cardinal fans can expect from that duo here in 2022. I can't wait to see if they can replicate what they're able to do at Oklahoma. I mean, he's, his name's Hollywood for a reason. It's live camera action when Mr. Brown and, and Mr. Murray are on the field together. We'll also discuss how Dusty almost became a professional wrestler and how one of Dusty's teammates not only became a professional wrestler, but became a champion. All that and more coming up with Dusty Dvorak. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Get ready for a football season like never before with BetMGM, an official partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Sign up today using code CARDS1000 and get your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 and over, Arizona only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. All right, let's talk some Cardinals, some college football, and a whole lot more with ESPN ABC broadcaster Dusty Dvorak. So, Dusty, just a few weeks ago, Cliff Kingsbury was in here doing the podcast, and he said, hey, I saw your boy Dusty. I was walking by the TV, and he's on Big 12 Media Day on ESPN. And the first thing he said to me, Dusty, he said, man, I still have nightmares about that guy. But then, <laughs> but, but then he said, I don't know what's scarier, the, the memories of him with the long hair coming at me and, and hitting me square in the back, or the fact that now he's all clean cut. Like it was – <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so, that's so good. First of all, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Cliff. Um, you know, we, we go way back, and I got to tell you, I enjoyed getting a chance to play against him, but I really enjoyed in 2002 and I had the chance to sack him not once but twice in the same game. But he was uh, he was a great player for them. And, yes, my look is probably slightly different. As you know, partner, a little bit more cleaned up, a little more trimmed up, and long hair has been cut. About 50 to 60 pounds has been shed. Got to keep it tight and look good standing next to you up in the booth. So, Times they have a change, but man, I I appreciate uh, Cliff saying that. I definitely we definitely had some battles back in the day when he was running that Red Raider offense. Well, I think he's still mad at us because we did uh, both the Texas and Oklahoma Texas Tech games last year. I can't remember the combined score, but it was like 130 to 10 or something like that. Um, speaking of hair, so one of your best friends is Brian Urlacher. And it's funny, yeah. man. Every time I go into Chicago, there are billboards everywhere. And, you know, for O'Hare Airport, they play on the the hair. Uh, so it's spelled differently, and it's a picture of Erlacher. And I told these guys, I told Ron Wolfley, who I worked the Cardinal games with, and Jim Omohundra, the producer, that there is an offer uh, that is standing 
for for me to hook up with Urlacher to get this hair deal uh, so that I have some sprouts because I'm shaving it right now uh, because I don't know what to do with it because if I grow it out at all, it looks terrible. So I don't know, man. I feel like now I'm 50. I just turned 50. I feel like I'm I'm past, I'm beyond it. I can't do that now. Give me your thoughts on that. I know Brian's cool and he'll help me out if I want to do it, but I feel like I'm, I, I'm, I'm at the point of no return with regard to the hair. I think you look magnificent <laughs> with a bald head. You make a bald head look cool. So I am in no way saying that you need to add sprouts, that you need uh, to go and, and have any kind of procedure done. But I will say they do a really good job. So if you were, you know, if you were looking and you know I've made the call, <laughs> all you have to do is give the go-ahead and it's done. Dave Pash, and I saw some pictures. I think I saw a video of you from like 1991 at Syracuse. I mean, you had this beautiful, luscious, unbelievable quaff of hair up there. <laughs> If you want to go back there, if you want to hit the time machine, all you have to do is say the word and it's done because the guys up there are fantastic. And, Dave, I think, really, you're in a win-win situation. You look great bald, and you clearly look you looked outstanding when you had a full head of hair. So I, I don't think you can make a wrong decision. Just the question is, do you want to step in that time machine or not, or are you happy with where you're currently at right now. I can't make those decisions for you. Uh, I just think you're in a great spot, man. You're in a win-win. No, no losers here, Dave. All right. Well, let's step into the time machine with you. Uh, for those that maybe are primarily Cardinal fans that live here in Arizona and don't know completely the background for Dusty Dvorak, you were a great player at Oklahoma, multiple All-Big 12 performer at on the defensive line, and then a third-round pick of the Bears where you became friends with Urlacher. Uh, I've had so many people on this pod, Dusty, that are connected to the 2006 Monday Night Football game, which we fondly here call the Monday Night Meltdown. I'm trying to remember. I know that was your rookie year. Were you hurt for that game here in Phoenix? I was. I was there, though, because I, I, I love he had me travel with the team uh, to all the games. But, yeah, at that point, I had had foot surgery. I had broken a uh, bone in my foot earlier in the season. So I was not playing, but I was there. And that was one that you never forget as a player. You guys, I believe Matt Liner was the quarterback in that game. You guys completely were dismantling us. The offense couldn't do anything. Rex was a mess. The running game was non-existent. Our defense is what we hung our hat on that year, and you guys were having success on our defense. But then it was a couple of turnovers, and it was the Devin Hester punt return that I still don't know why you guys kicked it to him, but I'm just being completely honest, but I'm glad you did. It was one of those that you'll never forget. Like it's, it's, and obviously the, the Dennis Green post-game press conference is one of the all-time greats ever, uh, one that will, will live in, in all of, of post-game press conference lore. But, yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. Well, I believe uh, we had a uh, – I think it was what Erlacher ripped one out. Did Peanut Tillman maybe have a peanut punch? I know my man Mark Anderson uh, was a rookie at the time, had a sack strip fumble. 
I still don't know, Dave, how we found a way to win that game. We didn't even have an offensive touchdown, if memory serves. It was all defense, special teams, and somehow we escaped the desert with a victory and an epic meltdown that we were all watching, uh, I think, on the plane ride home. Or once we got home, it was on ESPN. So it was, it was a game that, you know, really helped catapult us to, uh, on a road to the Super Bowl. We were just having that kind of a magical year where even when, when things weren't going right, we found a way to win games. And ultimately, Peyton Manning had the last laugh in Miami that year. But that's a game that even though I didn't step foot on the field as a player, I was in the building, and it's definitely one I'll never forget. What would be your advice? I, I know injuries derailed your career uh, in the NFL. Uh, what would be your advice for some younger defensive linemen? You know, the Cardinals with uh, Chandler Jones gone, we've got to figure out, okay, is it going to be in terms of pass rush, manufacturing it, or are we going to rely on you know, Marcus Golden, who did have actually you know, double-digit sacks last year, uh, to have another big year. But the Cardinals draft, Cam Thomas uh, out of San Diego State. Uh, there are several young guys, guys you probably have covered uh, doing college football for ESPN, Rashard Lawrence for, uh, out of LSU, uh, Zach Allen out of Boston College, a lot of young defensive linemen. That's a position the Cardinals are really relying on. What would be your advice, Dusty, for young guys at that position trying to break out in the NFL? I mean, I think the biggest thing I would say, especially now looking back, Dave, is take care of your body. I mean, because that's a, that's a brutal position, man, down anywhere along there. I mean, ask J.J. Watt. I think you've got to take care of your body. And I think that that's one thing looking back, I thought I was taking care of my body. I think there are even more resources now, you know, six, you know, 16 years since I was a rookie than there was when I was there. But I think that your health is always first and foremost, your feet and hands, take care of those things. Anything you can do, you know, year round, but especially in season, whether it's cold tubs, massages, you know, what you're putting in your body in season, I think it's of the utmost importance. You take that stuff for granted, I feel like, and you're like, ah, you know, you don't really worry about it. I'm young, I'm fine, I'm healthy. I think that's one of the things I would say first and foremost. And, you know, the reality is, you know, you've got to be a physical, a physical player. I would always tell players, you know, the mindset is different up there. But I think that aside from just kind of, and you know my mindset, you're up in the booth with me. Um, I'm just kind of wired that way all the time. I think that film study is really probably one of the biggest reasons I haven't had a chance to play is, is so important, right? I mean, you're going to work and, and technique and, and, and hand placement and get off and, you know, your footwork, your hands, all those things are really important and, and different pass rush moves and how you counter and, and having a plan. But I think even though you play, you know, you're not a linebacker, you're, you're not a safety, but really being a student of the game, understanding, you know, formations, understanding back sets, knowing what I'm anticipating here on second and seven tendencies of teams. I think that that pays just the mental aspect of the game, even for a nose tackle or a defensive end or a three technique, whatever position you play, you can give yourself such an added advantage if you put the extra time, preparation, work in so that, 
you know, you, you've got a tip, you've got to tell, you've got an idea of potentially what to anticipate, and it's going to help put you in position to succeed. The physical toll and physical demands of playing along the line of scrimmage in the NFL is immense. In any way you can give yourself that added advantage, I would really, really push young players to do all that they can in those two areas. Taking care of your body and being sure that you are as well-versed in your scheme as well as your opponent's scheme and the guys you're going against you can each and every week. That's going to give you the best opportunity for longevity and to have success on the field in the National Football League. Well, I'm glad you brought up, Dust, the the mental side of it. I'm not sure that a lot of guys coming into the NFL from college realize the mental toll that playing in the NFL takes, how smart everybody is at this level, even on the defensive line, and how fast things go and how you just have to react. But you react because you know what you're doing based on film study. You, you know what you're looking at. You know, one guy that you know, we're hoping here in year two takes a big step is a guy I know you, you saw in college at, at Tulsa, Zayvon Collins, who was the first-round pick last year. He played a lot in the first preseason game. Uh, we showed one you – know, we did the TV game, and, and there was one play where he kind of shoulder-blocked a guy, and the running back ran right behind him. He's still trying to figure it out. It has slowed down for him some, but watching him, it, it's, it's still a work in, proce- uh, in, in progress. And I, I'm just wondering, like – when you're a teammate, do you see it? Do you know it? How much advice can you give? How much talking from a coaching standpoint or a teammate standpoint can you give a guy and, until you just let him go and you, and you let him try to play fast as opposed to always coaching or always telling him, hey, this is what you need to do? It's a delicate balance, and it's a great question, Dave. You know, I, I, I did get a chance to watch David Collins a lot. I'm a big fan of his. I, I like his overall size. I think he's very good and pass coverage, covers a lot of space, has good feel for passing windows. And, and so, I, you know, I, 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 like you said, I think he's still learning. I think as a, as a coach or a teammate, you know, you don't want to overcoach or have someone overthinking. If you're thinking too much, then you're going you're gonna to be slow to go, right? And you want to get to a place where, Everything is second nature, kind of like you talked about. No different than the defensive line. So I would imagine when you're in the film room, right, that is to me when you really want to try to impress upon anything that you can, whether you're a teammate or a coach. When you're sitting there in that film room and you're studying the tape, that's when I think you're overly critical. That's when I think you're really coaching them up and, you know, explaining exactly what to do. Once you get on the field, I think you got to kind of just let guys go. And that's obviously where you'd like to see that light bulb start to come on uh, for Zayvon Collins on the practice field as well as on the game field. Because the last thing I think you want in-game is, is somebody in your ear too much. You're in-game, you're in practice, and then all of a sudden you're starting to think about everything everybody's saying to you, and it's going to force you to be slower. So I always think it's, it's far more productive. I think you can't coach somebody – you know, in a preseason game uh, or on a practice field. I'm not saying that at all. But if there's a time to be overly critical or really try to push your point and get them to think, I think that's in the film room. I think that's the perfect time where you can explain it, you can show it, 
and you can describe exactly what's expected of you and maybe where you took a wrong step, where your eyes are in the wrong place, and how you can correct that. I think once you get on the field, you know, you want guys trusting their instinct, trusting their film study, trusting the knowledge that they feel that they have, and go out there and play as quickly as they can. So uh, who am I to criticize or, or judge the way anybody's going to coach a linebacker? But I know for me individually, that's where it was always best for me, you know, really utilizing that, that film room with the staff, with the other teammates, because at least the rooms I was in, a lot of times it was a discussion. You know, coach may make a point, and I was fortunate in Chicago, I played with some quality veterans. And a guy like Alex Brown or Adewale Agunlier, you know, they were quick to, to add a point, to give a tip, and add on to potentially what a coach was going to say. And I always felt it paid huge dividends. And then we go out there on the field, you know, it, it would allow me to be able to play fast. Hopefully that happens for Zayvon Collins. I know when you take a guy as high as they did, I believe, around pick 16, a lot's expected. Uh, and I think, you know, and, and you and I have kind of talked about this with Simmons the year before, it seemed like he made a real jump from his first year to his second year. In college, I think a lot of guys make a huge jump from their freshman year to their sophomore year. I think you can, you can see sometimes a similar path in the National Football League. There's a lot on the plate of a second-level linebacker in the NFL. Uh, so hopefully, even though it sounds like maybe we saw a little bit of those ailments in week one uh, from Zayvon, hopefully we start to see him getting a better understanding, playing a little bit faster here in the coming weeks. Another guy that you and I talked about weekly last year was Kyler Murray. And you have been as bullish on Kyler going back to when he came out and was the number one pick in the draft. And I'm sure part of the reason is you're close to him. You're close to the situation. You live in Norman. You played at Oklahoma. And you covered him in college. And I'm curious why. Why were you – he has not disappointed – He's been to two Pro Bowls. He was the Offensive Rookie of the Year. But, again, you were one of the guys that said he's he's going to be a star. Like, there's no doubt the size isn't an issue. He's got the arm strength. And, obviously, uh, his athletic ability was not a question. But why were you so on top of it, do you think, when he came out? I, I just think he's as remarkable an athlete as you've ever seen in professional sports. I mean, it, and I think the proof's in the pudding. I believe the stat is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, because you know I'm wrong a lot, but I believe the stat is we've never, we've never had another player be selected in the first round of two of the major you know, five sports in multiple sports, and he was a top ten pick, nine in baseball and number one in football. If that doesn't help illustrate just the God-given abilities he has, I don't know what does. I also take you back to when he was at Allen High School, and my grandfather, I, I'll never forget, I came back. I think I was with the Bears. And I came home at one point, and I was in the off season right after the year ended, got back, and we were having dinner with my grandparents. And my grandpa, he had always watched the Texas High School Football State Championships because it would be on, like, local TV. And he's, like, telling me about this kid from Allen, Texas. And, you know, my grandfather, not that he's an NFL scout, but he's been watching football for a long time, and he was telling me about this this little guy from Allen, Texas, and he told me he's the most unbelievable player I've ever seen. And we all know he went 43-0 and in, in Texas high school, which is some of the best high school football you'll find anywhere, and he's an absolute legend. And then I got a chance to see him firsthand 
right there, Norman, as you alluded to, and I, I was I just marveled at his talent, at his acceleration, at his ability to feel pressure, and then you see the ball come out of his arm, and he's got an absolute cannon for a guy his size, and so I, I just, you know, I just always, I, I just always trust that, man, this is a guy that. If I'm on the other side of the ball, I don't want to see him. He scares the heck out of me, Dave. And not many things scare me. <laughs> but a guy like him who can do what he does with his mobility, so tough to, to be able to confine in a tight space, and then, you know, at, the, at, at any moment's notice, can really throw it from any arm angle on, a, on an absolute rope wherever he wants. That's scary, and so I just I, I, I didn't I didn't ever concern myself with the size. It's fascinating that I start with my advice for the defensive linemen is film study, and we all know uh, the the whole situation that was in the contract. Uh, I never heard that about him at Oklahoma. Like that was I don't want to say it's news to me, but I never heard anybody say that he's not dialed in. He's not focused. He's not putting in extra work aside from the field. So that was that was a bit of a new element uh, to, to kind of see. I'll just say this. I truly believe, and when you look at how quickly he's been able to translate his game from college to the NFL, we see all the things I've described. You Cardinals fans, they see it. You see it, Dave. He can do things that very few people on the planet can do at the quarterback spot. My hope for him is, that regardless if, if the clause is in the contract, it's not in the contract, to me it doesn't matter. The reality is he has a chance to be a special player for a long time. He has a chance to be a top-five quarterback in this league. I believe he's still right there as a fringe top-ten guy. I think he's a top-five quarterback. Now, he's still very young, and he still has a lot to learn. And my hope is, at the very least, there was all this conversation around this, this clause and, and, and however you want to view it, I hope he can look at that and say, you know, and just ask himself. And I really like Kyler a lot. I spent, I spent quite a bit of time with Kyler. I hope he can look himself in there and ask himself, am I doing everything I can to be the best that I can? Am I doing everything that I can each and every day to maximize my opportunity that I have right now in the National Football League? And if the answer to that question is no, then hopefully he looks at this as an opportunity to start to put that extra work in, to start to, to really understand that, you know what, it takes more than just natural talent and natural ability. It takes extra work at this position more so than any other if you want to be elite, if you want to be one of the best of the best. And so a lot of conversations been had over that topic. I'm sure you've had to have it as well. I look at this as potentially an eye-opening moment and one that if he's not doing all the things away from the facility that he needs to be doing, he, he looks at this, he views it, and he says, okay, no one's ever going to say this about me. If I'm not the best quarterback in the NFL, it won't be because I didn't put in the extra time and I didn't do everything I could each and every week to fully prepare. Because I believe, Dave, as you know, and we've had long, lengthy conversations with you, me, and other members of our crew. 
and I am Team Kyler through and through. I do believe if he fully puts that aspect of his game with the God-given ability, the sky's the limit for him, and the sky's the limit for this Arizona Cardinals team moving forward. Another guy that you know well is Marquise Brown. And when Cliff was on the podcast a few weeks ago, of all the things he said, what stood out to me, Dusty, the most was, and and as you know, Cliff and Lincoln Riley uh, are very close. He said, Lincoln told him, Marquise Brown's the best practice player he's ever seen. And I'm sure you were at a lot of those practices. I'm sure you saw a lot of Marquise Brown. He and Kyler are best friends. What do Cardinal fans have to look forward to with Hollywood and the connection with Kyler? Well, you know, there's a lot of trust, first of all. Like you said, that connection is very real. Uh, They trust each other immensely. I think just from a timing perspective, they're going to be about as dialed in as anybody. Uh, They had unbelievable rapport together at Oklahoma. You know, Hollywood is a great practice player. Like, he puts in the work. I mean, it's, it's very evident. He has worked his tail off to get to where he is at this point in his career to morph himself into a first-round pick. You know, his, his, his top-end speed is, is clearly there. I think he tracks the football very, very well. Uh, he's tough to deal with in, in tight spaces. And I'm fascinated to see exactly, you know, how Cliff gets him involved and what his role is going to be. You know, he's, he's tough to deal with in man-to-man coverage. You know, it's just a very difficult guy to be able to run with. And I think you can move him around a little bit at wide receiver and play him in different spots. You know, clearly this is a guy that, that Tyler, uh, I'm sure, wanted to get in Arizona. And, you know, the, the fact that there is that trust, there is that chemistry, there is that history together, I can't wait to see if they can replicate what they're able to do at Oklahoma. You know, Marquise, he had a, a foot at the end of his career at Oklahoma. I believe it forced him to miss that that playoff game against Alabama that year. So it was unfortunate that we couldn't get a, you know, the real Marquise Brown that final time out there uh, with Tyler Murray in the postseason. And I'm I'm excited that they get a chance uh, to reunite and, and rekindle what was just a, a, an unbelievable connection between those two. So I... I mean, he's, his name's Hollywood for a reason, and I know that he hails from that part of Florida, but it's lights, camera, action uh, when, when Mr. Brown and, and Mr. Murray are on the field together. So uh, put me in the camp. They can't wait to see exactly what it looks like in the NFL, and I would imagine Cliff is excited about different ways he's going to utilize him and, and try to, and probably some of the matchups he's going to be able to create. I didn't realize until I, I wor- started working with you last year just how many people you know. We've already talked about uh, your your you know Brian Urlacher being one of your best friends and uh, Kevin Casper, another guy, former Cardinal. His son uh, Kyler is at Oregon, right? He was one of the top recruits in the country. That's absolutely right. And, and Dave, as you know, I, I did call um, that area home for about six months. It was a breach day, <laughs> but we moved out uh, to the uh, Maricopa county area uh a few years ago and i got to be really good friends uh, with kevin casper and what he loves the arizona cardinals and his time there it brought him and his family back to that area and you know yeah, his son is uh, one of the top receivers coming out he's up at oregon now uh kyler uh is uh is i anticipate going to do really good things and you know the one thing about kevin 
and I'm sure I don't know how much Cardinals fans knew this at the time, but you want to talk about work ethic. I've seen still at this point in, in his life, and he's probably at about 0.2% body fat. I mean, he is chiseled from granite, but you know he works about as hard as anybody I've ever been around. That's why he was able to have a nice career in the National Football League from being a walk-on at Iowa to, I think, carving out seven or eight years professionally. His sons are the exact same way. And I had, I've had a chance to watch them, you know, firsthand the way they work, uh, that they put in. And that's just a, it's a great family. And I'm fired up and excited about what he potentially has moving forward. And I'll tell you this, Dave, one thing I didn't realize that area, you know, the Gilbert, Chandler, Tempe, just that whole kind of area that, that you live in and a lot of Cardinals fans live in, the amount of college talent that's coming out of those areas right now is immense. I mean, it, every year I feel like we see more and more and more. A lot of it, I think, you know, a lot of former professional athletes moving out there because it's such a great place to call home. But that's one thing that I did not realize probably prior to the last three or four years when I had a chance to go out there and now pay a little bit closer attention. But that has become a hotbed for a lot of different, uh, you know, fantastic high school players coming out and turning some of the top college recruits here and you're out. But, yeah, Kevin Casper, his son, Kyler Casper, definitely a um, a name to keep an eye on moving forward uh, here this upcoming college football season the years to come. Yeah, we saw Kevin at – they had this back-together Saturday for the first practice, and there were a lot of uh, Cardinal alumni that were there, and, and Kevin was there, and you're right, he looks like he's 23 years old. Um, you know, it's interesting, too, you brought up the high school football and how good high school football is in this area. Kyle Vandenbosch, who does some broadcasting – Stuff with the Cardinals now. He's a, uh, an assistant coach at a high school here locally, and he was saying the same thing, how uh, many great players there are uh, in this area. And, you know, it's ever-expanding. You were out here for a little bit, and so just a, a larger pool of great players uh, to be able to play D1. Another guy that you're close with is Jim Ross. And I'm curious – because I know you were recruited. Was it coming out of Oklahoma to become a professional wrestler? And was it Jim Ross that recruited you? Yes. So JR, uh, you know, legend in the wrestling world, famous for the infamous black hat, black cowboy hat that he wears. He is a major Oklahoma fan. And Jim actually, he still keeps the house here. He's also down in Jacksonville now with the new AEW. But he, him and his wife uh, lived here in Norman, and he would always be on the sidelines at Oklahoma games, him and Toby Keith, of all people. And, you know, I don't know if I should say this, but I'll say it to you since I'm on the, uh, the pod, uh, the patch pod. But that whenever we'd be in blowouts, we, you know, we'd get to come out of a game and we'd stand down there, and I got to know Toby Keith, and I got to know Jim Ross really well. So a relationship formed when I was still in college. And I don't know if you're going to have a picture up of me or not, but for people that don't know, I used to weigh about 305 pounds. I had bleach blonde hair down the middle of my back. I wore war paint like the ultimate warrior on my face. I got tattoos on my back and my arms and my shoulder. So I look like I got a cast member out of a professional wrestling bit. And I grew up in high school and stuff. I was a big, and as a kid, I was a big wrestling fan. 
And so, like, when I first got a chance to meet Jim Ross, I was like, wow, that's incredible. Then I just got to know him. He's got to be a friend. And he always kind of said, like, hey, man, you know, we'd love to have you, uh, if, you know, if, if you'd like. And so we used to always have these conversations when I was still in college. And, you know, as it got closer and closer to the end of my playing days in college, it felt and it, it, it seemed like I was going to have an opportunity in the NFL. And it's like, I can't pass on this opportunity, but you never know. Maybe after I'm done playing, potentially I could, I could give that a try. Well, since I passed, my roommate at the time was a guy named Jake Hager, or his wrestling name became Jack Swagger. And so it wasn't me that got the wrestling gig. It was my roommate, who was also a defensive lineman, who had a wrestling background. He's actually the guy who introduced me to my wife from little old Perry, Oklahoma. Instead of me saying yes to Jim, it was Jake that did. And Jake went on to have a, a great career. He was actually a champ, you know, world champion at one point in the WWE under Jack Swagger. He is still actually wrestling in the AEW. So when my football playing days were over, Dave, they were over because my body was broke down and beat up. I had had two torn ACLs. I had had two ruptured biceps tendon. I had a shoulder surgery. I had a foot surgery. And I was coming off another banged-up knee from my last year in the UFL. So there was a conversation between me and Jim, but it was a very short and quick one. The body, it was tapping out already. There was no way I was stepping foot in the ring. But every now and again, Dave, I do think about what might have been what might have been the persona of Dusty Dvorak if he would have said yes to Jim Ross and he would have stepped foot in that ring? I, I don't know exactly what that would have looked or sounded like, but it's fun to think about. I can tell you that. What would you would you have changed your name? Because there are two former Cardinals who are in professional wrestling. Uh, Dean Mutati. I don't think he played a lot, but he uh, went by the name of Mojo Raleigh. And then Tom Pestock, who I remember in training camp fighting. I can't remember who he fought, but he got in a fight, and nobody wanted any part of him because he was a great boxer. Uh, he is he goes by Baron Corbin. I don't know if these names are familiar to you, but would you have changed your name at all? I would have done whatever they told me to. <laughs> I, you know, I grew up an Arnold fan. You know, there was uh, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer. I always thought Dusty the Destroyer. I would have liked to keep part of it. I think that would have fit me very well uh, with where I was, you know, coming out of college or where I was when I was finishing up my playing career. What do you think? Is that yeah. have a nice ring to it? I, I like Dusty that. The Destroyer? Yeah, no, that's good. I, I like that because, I mean, like Hulk Hogan's name is like a, a, a – I mean, Dusty, you keep Dusty. Like Hulk Hogan, I think, totally yeah. changed his name. I can't remember what it is. But then you had like well, – how- Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. I don't know if that was his real name. He just added it. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper used to wear the kilt. Would you have had like a – well, you couldn't steal that and wear a kilt. Would you have had like a uh, an outfit that would uh, coincide with the name appropriately, Dusty to the Destroyer? I think so. You know, as I think about it, you know, we could have gone – because you can't go Dusty Roads. Dusty Trails, Dusty Bottoms, uh, but Dusty the Destroyer – yeah, I mean, I always, I always really liked, um, I, I always really liked, um, you know, the, the the various guys. I mean, face paint would have had to been something that I was a part of. 
the Bushwhackers back in the day, and they kind of did their, you know, up and down thing. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly what my outfit would have been, Dave. I didn't get that far down the line, but I'll tell you what: you've got a creative mind. I, I mean, you can, you can gladly uh, put me something together if you want to be. You know, I'm only, I'm, I'm not 40 yet, so I could always make a comeback potentially. And if you're able to put the right outfit together, that might finally give me the final push that I need to go over the top. I definitely don't think I would have been one in like the spandex underwear. <laughs> like I envisioned me more of something in like a long pant with a boot. So I think probably something in that genre. I, you know, if I could have worn some, some football pads out there that I took off before we actually started, I think that would have suited me just fine. I mean, I'm a, I'm a nose tackle at heart. I'm a nose tackle through and through. I would have had to utilize that some way. Uh, you know, Goldberg, he had the, you know, his, his great move, his great finishing move, I think was the spear, where he essentially just gave that unbelievable shoulder, and it was basically a form tackle. I would have had to incorporate something with football as my backdrop into my character, Dusty Destroyer, no question. Yeah, who, who knows, man? You, you, you could have been the Rock, you know, former player at Miami. Uh, I We've already gone way over the time that we were supposed to have you, but I, I do have a couple more, and I want to get to college football. But you mentioned earlier, Dusty, you finished up uh, playing professional football in the UFL, and right now there are two other professional leagues other than the NFL. You have the USFL, and then the XFL is starting back up, and your good friend and former uh, coach Bob Stoops is one of the head coaches in the XFL. Can these other leagues succeed? Can they survive – and thrive, in your opinion? I hope so. So I, I played in the UFL, and it was, it was a fascinating league. It was a, it was a reality check, I can tell you that. You go from being at Hallis Hall and playing Soldier Field to, you know, your locker is a piece of tape on a wall and a chair. Like, it's a reality check, but it was really good football. Like, that's the thing that stuck out to me. You know, we had great coaches now. Dennis Green was in our league. He coached the California team, and Dante Culpepper was their quarterback. Marty Schottenheimer coached the Virginia team. And I believe on that staff, Jay Gruden was the offensive coordinator. Uh, Jim Hazlitt, I think, was the defensive coordinator. Um, Jim Fossil was the head coach of the Vegas team. Like, we – and it was real football with, with real players. You know, I played with guys that – you know, we're, we're former all pros and, you know, Amon Green was in our backfield. So it was, it like made me realize, like, as you know, Dave, and you've been around the NFL for a long time, there's good football players that don't make a 53 for whatever reason. Maybe yep. it's where they're at in their career. Maybe it's a contract situation, but there's a lot of really good players that are fringe guys that don't make it. There's a lot of young players that maybe just don't get that real opportunity. You know, they, they, they get overlooked in the draft and an undrafted free agent, and they go to a camp, and you know, they may do a couple of good things, but it's just on the cards. You know, they just, they're not able to make the 53. They can't make the practice squad, and then they're done. I love I, – I really appreciated the fact that that league at least offered another opportunity. Now, I, I mean, I, I, full disclosure, I was able to get my – worked really hard. I was able to get my business degree from Oklahoma – I knew football wasn't going to be forever, but I thought I could still play. 
And that gave me the opportunity to see if I could still go out there and do it. And though I didn't get picked up from, from any NFL teams, several of my teammates did. And it gave a couple of guys that are still playing opportunities that they would have never had had that league not been around. So, you know, the financial side of it, and the league ultimately folded a year after I left. I played there two years, and body just completely gave out, and I was done. But, you know, I, I do think there's a place for it. You know, this USFL, the way they did it this year, having all the games in Birmingham, I don't like that. Well, the one thing I appreciate, I played in Omaha, and we packed out Rosenblatt. Well, we'd have, because I played in the last year Rosenblatt and the first year of Ameritrade, we had sellouts. Like the town of Omaha, the city of Omaha, fully embraced us. They were all in. It was good environment. It was great. It was real football. And I, I really, I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I really, really appreciated my time in that league. And I appreciated the fact that it was at least an opportunity. And I do think, though, that having a centralized hub without having true home field advantages, you know, without having places where fans can get behind something, I think it makes it difficult because atmosphere matters. So I, I can't say that I think that's the perfect model. I'm intrigued with the XFL. I think The Rock is a very smart, business-savvy guy. I hope they're able to sell it and it's able to in some way grab hold. I don't think that we have to have more football in this country, but I do think there's a place for it if it can be marketed and put in the right spots. And the biggest reason I'm an advocate is because I think it – it, it creates opportunities for a lot of guys that if we don't have these leagues, they're just not there. And I'm all about opportunity. And, you know, the, the more we can get of that, I think the better. So I'm, I'm rooting for it to work. Obviously my, my former head coach and a man that I love and Bob Stoops, you know, he, he doesn't want to go full blown into coaching, but he wants to dip his toe back in the water in this league. And I'll be rooting for him. And, I'm rooting for all these guys. I, I'd love it if they could get the right management, the right plan in place for it to work. It felt like the XFL last time had a chance. Then COVID hit and it wrecked everything. Right. So yeah. we'll see now if, if, if the Rock can, can reboot this thing and get it going. Um, I can't sit here and say with conviction, yes, it's 100% going to work. But I, I feel that there's a place for it. It serves a purpose. And personally, I'll be one that, that hopes it succeeds. Along with being one of the top uh, college football analysts on ESPN and ABC. You host a daily morning college football show, uh, Dusty and Danny in the Morning, Sirius XM ESPNU Radio. So you are as dialed in on college football as anybody, and I'm sure you guys have talked a lot about this. I was shocked when, and I'm close to it because I do you know a ton of Pac-12 basketball for ESPN, I was shocked when UCLA and USC announced that they were leaving for the Big Ten. And just thinking about how long it's going to take the equipment truck to get from Los Angeles to Rutgers. And, you know, people forget that it's not just about the players. It's they've got to get equipment there, and it can't all go on the plane. Um, eventually, how many conferences do you think we'll have? I guess what I'm asking is, we know we're not done with realignment. Where does this end up ultimately two, three, five years from now? It's a fascinating question, and it's a million-dollar question. And to be completely honest, I don't know if anyone knows, Dave. Like, I, I, can, I can give you a couple thoughts. I think there's a good chance that it's set up and it's similar to the National Football League. 
and then it's the Big Ten, the SEC. Where does that stop? You know, for major college football. And then maybe that next tier down, you know, maybe it splits off and it's kind of like a, a Division Two, if you will. And they're competing for a different national championship. Um, you know, it, it, it would make sense. I mean, these are two mega leagues, for the two biggest bullish brands out there. And if there was essentially like a North and a South, right, you had your AFC, your NFC, and you kind of already got a line drawn in the sand. Fox is, is pretty much embedded there with with the Big Ten, and ESPN is, is very much in business with the SEC. I, I could see that happening. Ultimately, does Greg Sankey, commissioner of the SEC, Kevin Warren, commissioner of the Big Ten, do they want to go that route? Because I think they hold most of the cards. If they want to split off and form their own thing, they can do it. There's no doubt that the money is there. The interest would be there. The matchups would be phenomenal. Like, there's a lot about that that you're like, man, that it's basically become the NFL like. Um, and, and where does it stop? You know, currently, each of those leagues has 16. 16 and 16, 32. Sounds very familiar. But there's a lot of marquee brands, Florida State, Clemson, Miami, uh, Oregon, Washington, you know, even more that I would say Oklahoma State. And what happens with those teams? So if we were to go to that two-league system, if, if Sankey and Warren decide this is the direction we want to go, this is where we want to house our conferences, you know, how many more do they add? Is it 20 a league? And they get to 40 teams. You know, I've talked to a lot of college football coaches, and uh, I've heard a lot of them say they think it's heading to two super conferences. Is that the case? I don't know. I could also see it potentially, you know, going to four. And maybe, you know, the, the Pac-12, we'll see. If, if the Big Ten decides, hey, we want Oregon and Washington, you know, what happens to the rest of that league? There's been a lot of rumors about, potentially the Arizona schools, as well as Utah and Colorado, joining in the Big 12 at some point. You know, Notre Dame's a real wild card in this. You know, did they stay independent? Did they ultimately join a league? There's so many questions, and we really don't know. Um, personally, I, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I don't want to see a lot of these other schools just completely go to the wayside and be eradicated from major college football. I grew up in Big 12 country, Dave. I think about Kansas State and those fans in Manhattan. I think about Iowa State, those fans in Ames, Iowa. You know, I, I think about some of these other schools, some of these other programs that if the music stops and they don't have a home, what becomes of them? What, what becomes of their athletic departments? Um, I think about a Luke Fickle at Cincinnati who they've worked so hard to get to the Big 12 right, to, to get over this stigma of being a group of five school, and they finally get there, and he sticks around for it. And then if they're not even a part of the equation for major college football competing for championships, you know, that rubs me the wrong way. You so and I, 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 hate to, I hate to dance around the question, but the reality is there's so many scenarios that could play out. I don't know exactly which direction it goes, but it does feel like the Big Ten, the SEC, they hold the cards. And they're going to be the ones that make the decision. Is this a two-team major college football league? Is this a multiple, uh, you know, college football league? Ultimately, I think that answer resides with Kevin Warren and Greg Sankey. And I think if you put a true serum in them, 
they don't fully know exactly what that's going to be yet. Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, Greg Sankey, commissioner of the SEC. I don't think you danced around it. I think you, you gave an honest answer. No one knows, but it, it does feel like we are far from over. I'm sure the contracts uh, for a lot of the conferences that currently are in existence, the TV contracts, could determine eventually where we land. Uh, but one thing's for certain, we're not done. Last question, Dust. Uh, I don't know if you've given your playoff predictions for college football yet, we will have Clemson uh, Labor Day night. We're doing the Chick-fil-A kickoff game on ESPN. It's an 8 Eastern uh, kick. You, me, uh, Tom Luganville down on the field as the field analyst. That's our week one assignment. And a lot of people have Clemson back in the college football playoff. And it may not be because DJ Uyunglele is the quarterback. Maybe it's Cade Klubnick, who, like Trevor Lawrence, was a big-time recruit, may end up playing a lot, maybe even starting early on, maybe even starting week one. We we don't know yet, but do you see Clemson climbing back into the college football playoff, and, and who are some of the other teams to watch? Alabama is going to be scary good. Scary good. Um, they might have the two best players in the country. For Cardinals fans, if you haven't seen Will Anderson, 31, the outside stand-up backer for them play, you need to watch him. He's as good a defensive player as I've seen in a long time. And they've got a young kid, Dallas Turner, opposite him, who's sensational. That defense is going to be Georgia from last year-esque. And then you've got the, you've got the reigning Heisman Trophy winner coming back on offense. They're going to be really good. Ohio State's offense, wow. C.J. Stroud, uh, Travion Henderson. You, you and I, Dave, had a chance to call one of their games last year. They are, they are special. Jackson Smith and Jigba is a receiver to keep your eye on. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a name to watch out for someone that's going to be a, an emerging star this year in college football. Now, they just had a new defensive coordinator from Oklahoma State and Jim Knowles. They've got real talent up front. Jack Sawyer is a, a young phenom defensive end that's going into his second year in college. He's probably got a chance to really break out. Those are the two best teams in the country heading into the year. Uh, I, I do. I, I mean, I don't know how. I, do. I don't like to be chalky, Dave, but I don't know how you don't pick those two teams to win their leagues and, and be in the playoff. Uh, I do think Clemson gets back. I do think Clemson, their defense is going to be special. And that's without their defensive coordinator, my former defensive coordinator, who's now the head coach at Oklahoma and Brent Venables. But uh, they've got a guy in Brian Brissett who missed all of last year with an injury, one of the outstanding defensive tackles in the country, Miles Murphy. Um, you know, they, they've got speed at linebacker. They've got talent in the secondary. They've got a, a running back in Will Shipley, who's an absolute horse in the backfield. They've got big, long, athletic wide receivers. I think their offensive line is going to be better. The question is, like you kind of laid it up, who's going to be playing quarterback? DJ Uyunglele, I feel like we've heard nothing but confident talk out of Dabo Sweeney, out of most people around Clemson. I think the leash is going to be short. You know, we did their bowl game against Iowa State, Dave. They like this Kate Klubnick kid, and all reports that I've heard from spring and fall camp, he's just come in and backed it up. And the last time we saw a quarterback situation where Dabble made the move to a true freshman wasn't that long ago as Trevor Lawrence and they won a national championship. They've got the pieces in place to not just win the ACC but make some noise in the playoffs if they get that position right. It's going to be one of the more fascinating stories in all of college football, and we get a chance to start to tell that story in week one there in Atlanta and uh, the Chick-fil-A kickoff against Georgia Tech. So if they get that position right, uh, they're another team that, that should be put right there 
uh, in a similar conversation as, as Ohio State and Alabama. You know, I was a Georgia fan last year, and I think they've got a lot coming back. I'm not writing them off, but they've got to replace five first-round picks on the defensive side. And they got great players coming back. Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith are a couple in that front seven. But I think they take a step back. The team that I've got my eye on, Dave, is the Utah Utes. So if you're looking for a sleeper, I don't know if you can even call them a sleeper. They're the reigning Pac-12 champion. They bring their quarterback back. They bring a lot of key pieces. they got to replace a, a, a linebacker in Devin Lloyd. He's sensational. But I like Kyle Whittingham, the head coach. I like the toughness he instills. The brand of football that he plays and coaches. They'll line up and they'll hit you right in the mouth along the line of scrimmage. I got Utah as a team that potentially gets into the playoff and gets the Pac-12 back to some relevancy. I know the spotlight and all the talk is on the team out in L.A. with USC, and rightfully so. Lincoln Riley's a heck of a coach, and he's got some marquee players. But I've got Utah as a team that could potentially crack that college football playoff that I would say aren't on a lot of people's top four, but they're likely going to be on mine before the season starts. Listen, Dusty, great stuff, man. Appreciate the time, and we could have probably talked for another hour. A lot of things that uh, we we definitely could have gotten into, um, but I feel like we covered a ton, and maybe we'll uh, we'll save all that for for part two at some point, man. I love that, and just I, not that I have to tell your listeners. I'm sure they're loyal Arizona Cardinal fans, and they listen to you on the radio all the time. But you're one of the absolute best, and. You're an even better guy. Uh, phenomenal what you do. You made me better last year. I'm fired up. I get a chance to say I get to share a booth with you this season. It's a pleasure every time we get in there, but I actually enjoy – as fun as the games are with you, I enjoy the pal time, the time we get to hang out and just get to know each other, talk about our families and, and just laugh and, and have fun and, and uh, try to poorly recite James Bond movies. So it's been a pleasure. Year one was a blast, as was this interview, but – I'm really looking forward to year two, partner. Yeah, for people that don't know, when you work uh, with the same crew, you fly in for a Saturday game on Thursday. A lot of times you're not leaving until Sunday. So you're it basically becomes like your second family. You're with them week after week. And one of the things we did last year, because uh, Dusty had not seen any of the uh, Daniel Craig, James Bond movies, we I think took like three or four weeks in a row, and then we watched all of them, and then we went and saw No Time to Die. And I, I think we're both convinced that uh, James Bond is still alive somewhere. In fact, uh, I, I think I saw him the other day. I, I still can't believe I, I gotta, that, that they did that to them. I, I, my, my wife will not watch the movie. She's that upset because she knows what happened. I got a tip. I got a tip that he's going to be in Atlanta in a few weeks. All right. I can't wait to see him again. We need a spotter. Maybe we'll have him spot and we'll have George the Animal Steel as our statistician. Hopefully he won't eat the, uh, the paper like he ate the turnbuckle back in the day when he was wrestling. No question. Thanks for the time today, partner. Love being a part of your, uh, your fantastic podcast. Thanks, brother. Appreciate the time. We'll definitely have to do a part two with Dusty at some point because there was so much more that I wanted to get into. But Dusty had some great stuff on his career, how he almost became a professional wrestler. I thought that whole conversation about his connection to Jim Ross was fascinating. And then how his teammate, who eventually became Jack Swagger, uh, became a champion. Also, the UFL stuff was really interesting because professional football gets incredible TV ratings. We know that from just seeing how the NFL has exploded over the last two decades particularly, and what that might mean for the USFL, which just finished its league a couple months back, and the XFL, 
which is restarting again in 2023. I thought, too, the, the story about uh, sacking Cliff uh, twice and how Cliff remembers and is still terrified by Dusty I thought was good. And obviously, just how close he is to Kyler Murray and Marquise Brown, given that they both played at Oklahoma. That's where Dusty played and that he lives in Norman. Some really interesting tidbits there uh, on both guys and what Cardinal fans can expect in 2022. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Tell us what you think. Wherever your podcast platform is, get on there, rate us. If there's a guest that you want to hear from uh, in the future, tell us what you think. Give us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. Future guests include Buccaneers General Manager Jason Light, Marcus Spears from ESPN, as well as CBS broadcaster Charles Davis, and many more to come over the course of 2022. You can follow us on Twitter at PashPod as well. Thanks again to our guest, Dusty Dvorak. I'm Dave Pash. Thanks again to you for listening to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast.